Aquaman. You're listening to Mount Hermeneutics, where three Marines talk about God, faith, and spirituality with a heavy lean on the Divine Council worldview. Now, this is not your grandma's Sunday school, nor is it always for the faint of heart. There's nothing about who we are or what we say that make us experts, but you better believe that we're going to have a take, and perhaps it won't suck. So with that, fellas, what's cracking? What's up? Hey, Dre. It's been a wild week for all of us. We're we're a day late because we've all got lots of stuff going on. Brian's been living like a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and yeah, I've been in San Antonio and all about and got stuff going on with family and friends being ill and a lot going on. Life's life's real. Yeah, I, I'm not nearly as serious as you guys. Like I had to um, put on a, a three year old's birthday party at the beach. And uh, if you know anything about one one Delani, and uh, shout out to Longtime Sun Events. Uh, check check that out, Longtime Sun Events on Instagram. Um, we we basically created uh, what's it called uh, uh, Rainforest Cafe at the beach. <laughs> so so we were able to put up a big backdrop, and we had wild animals all over the place and a bunch of little kids running around and saying were there a lot of lunchables there actually we were short on the charcuterie <clears throat> um we we did uh we did make we did you know the the usual pasta salad potato salad mac and cheese we uh we, we did chicken tendies in the, in the air fryer and brought them down raisins or no raisins in the stuff. in the uh in the potato salad uh we don't, we don't do any raisins here Hey, I, I, I would veto that immediately. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I had an offend, uh, offended look on my face, but I, I definitely did. I could, so, I could tell you didn't. Like, raisins. And, not, you know, it's weird. As I get older, I don't actually hate raisins, like, by themselves. Uh, Just alone. not the potato salad. <laughs> I'll always yeah, there's places that raisins don't belong, right? And I'm a, I'm a raisin all-alone guy. Raisins are just ruined grapes. I mean, okay. Yeah, that's what they are. That's like saying that dolphins are just gay sharks. I don't think think that's the same thing. No, I don't think that's the same thing. Not at all. But I did hear it on Glee, so it must be true. All right. Well, so we so we mentioned in the open that uh, <clears throat> that we lean on the divine council worldview. So, so I think for this episode we're going to go ahead and, and talk about that, huh? The, the DCW. Yeah. Um, so, so Brian, I'll, I'll direct this question to you. What what is that? What, what is, is the divine council worldview? Divine council worldview. Yes. <clears throat> well, gosh, how do you I. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I, uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to figure out where to jump in. I guess the the best part is there's this weird little passage in Genesis six that we we tend to gloss over. Um, it reads, uh, in, "In those days, men 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 began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took of them as wives any of whom they chose." The Lord God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Now the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went into the daughters of men and had had offspring by them. 
these were the warriors of old, the the men of renown. And then the Lord God saw that uh, the the wickedness of man was great, and his the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. And that's when he decided to flood the earth. And then the the Noah's Ark story happens, and and uh, but it's it's just this weird little episode. And we tend to we tend to read the Book of Genesis, really kind of the whole Bible, but the Book of Genesis especially as this sort of pastiche of unrelated stories, like. It, you know, we all remember going to Sunday school as kids and that you'd kind of get these standalone stories and they wouldn't really explain how they fit into the broader narrative because a lot of, in their defense, a lot of them didn't know how it, how stories like that did fit into the broader narrative. But it actually, it turns out it is a it is a whole big narrative. And that event is was kind of a major issue. That's what led that's what precipitated the flood led to the corruption of the earth. And then after the flood, uh, Noah comes out of the ark. God makes his covenant with him not to flood the earth again. And uh, the human race is repopulated. And then they all decide to uh, gather to, to build the Tower of Babel so that they're not spread out on the earth. And uh, God doesn't like this. And he so he comes down and he, he confuses their language and scatters them. And uh, this is that's also kind of seen as just another weird little standalone story. But it's directly related to the first event. <clears throat> um, and I tried, and as we were discussing, I I was going to explain this without referring to the book of Enoch. Um, but it actually, uh, <clears throat> and I, I don't want to get into a big discussion about what the book of Enoch is, but anybody who's interested can look into it. And hey, sorry, can, I, can I pause you right there? So... There's a you said a lot so far, and a lot of things is, is kind of flowed, and it, and it kind of sounds like you're almost rehashing Genesis after the creation and going forward. But it's called the Divine Council worldview. Yeah, let's get so, that. So what what a, what about this, or what about those stories, or or those or those passages that lead to something being called a Divine Council, and and, and what does that mean? Well. In short, there's a instead of God ruling the world directly, it's ruled over by a divine council, a council of divine beings, to whom God has delegated the the rulership of Earth, and they're they're called watchers in the Bible. They're they're only mentioned by name in the book of Dan in Daniel chapter ten, and you kind of see glimpses of this, <clears throat> um, but the the book of Enoch expands on uh, on the uh, gen the Genesis six event, um, and the, the reason this isn't very well known is because the book of Enoch was largely unknown to the West until the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, and even then it was only known to a few collectors uh, and academics. But even they didn't know what like what its significance was until the the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and there were entire copies of the book of Enoch, and they. They started studying it more, and now and academia has now understands that it, the the book the not the book of Enoch necessarily itself, but the background that it provides about the the Genesis six event um, this loomed huge in the the thinking of of the Jews throughout biblical history, and especially the New Testament writers, and particularly Jesus. And once you once you get that background, you can't unsee it, but Basically, in Genesis 6, as the book of Enoch expands, 
these beings called the Watchers, 200 of them descended on Mount Hermon, which is a, a, a sacred mountain in like north uh it borders syria and lebanon um it was kind of a it's kind of a major landmark in the holy land <clears throat> but uh the watcher 200 of the watchers descended on mount Hermon, and the their leader was a was a being called shemihaza whose name means the face of the name and that ties into the the hebrew when, where they call uh the nephilim the men of renown it's it's kind of the same connotations and it ties into the Tower of Babel, where they decided to make a, they did this to make a name for themselves. So there's some there's some definite connective tissue there, but these Watchers swore swore a pact to engage in this act of rebellion by sexual relations with human women, knowing it was rebellion. Shemihaza didn't want to be the only guy doing it and the only guy taking the heat, so they all swore a pact to do it, and then they fathered the ne- the Nephilim. <clears throat> And in their inter- in their mingling with humanity, they gave all of this forbidden knowledge of of warfare and magic and seduction and um, metallurgy and weapons making and all, all kinds of stuff that led to the corruption of the earth. Meanwhile, the Nephilim were just kind of running rampant all over the earth and and wreaking havoc everywhere they went. Um, hey Brian, hey Brian, let me let me yeah. let me cut in for just a second. I, sure. I like where you're going, but I I worry that. Dre took a chance to redirect you, and I don't think it quite redirected. Let me let me jump in on a on a point here and see if I can help out. So, when we talk about the divine council, and to be really clear, I want to upfront make sure as we're talking through this, and we're going to reference DCW a lot. We did this in our kind of our pilot episode, but it that may get lost in the ether. Um, a lot of this was brought forward by Dr. Michael Heiser. And his studies specifically, he coined the phrase divine council worldview. So I want to do one, one thing I want to do is make sure that we openly give him credit, both from a um, bibliography and a, you know, a terming point of view. I don't want anybody to accuse us of just stealing his information and trying to present it as new information. In fact, I'm holding the first book of his right now, The Unseen Realm, not his first book, but the first book I read of him. Um, and I'm, I've got... A, quite a few pages dog-eared and, and notes in here. So I wanted to talk about that. But um, the first key, for me at least, and Genesis 6 was the start of it as well, and we can kind of talk about when we first read it and kind of what made it what made us kind of go, wait, what? Um, There's the but, two main books right there. But the, the big thing is, is there is usage of a word Elohim that's very, very prevalent throughout mm-hmm. the Bible. And Elohim is can both be a plural and a singular and one has to have the literary understanding i don't possess it by the way um i'm taking the 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 word of of experts that have written on this and that are you know phd linguists and and and, uh, ancient uh studies but you have to understand the use of the word to know if it means plural or singular and that's relevant because uh there's many times with fish or sheep or Sure. Like it's 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 not an uncommon thing, right. but it's absolutely. Sure. But, it, but it's super relevant in this specific instance because right. um, Elohim means supernatural being. Okay, um, and I'm I'm going to be very simplistic here and not and try not to use overly scholarly sounding words. One because I'm not sure I understand it that clearly, but to just to be really clear, and I'm going to make an analogy for all of the drinkers out there that are listening in. Um, all God is an Elohim. But not all Elohim are God. 
right? So as we talk about Elohim, what we're really talking about are angels, demons, God, etc. And it's simply a dividing line in the way that the the ancient Israelites talked about what was what were humans, mortal humans, and what were not mortal humans and lived in an alternate plane. Um, so I don't think anybody here that's listening or anybody on this in this in this conversation is has a contrary opinion that angels exist or that demons exist or that god mm. exists so obviously if you're if you're remotely christian or of a christian spiritual leaning that's not a you know a new idea the difference is is that the the early uh jewish people didn't have a differentiation between angels and demons they didn't really get into a good angel or a bad demon they were simply elohim um, so Elohim just means an, a, a thing that exists in a plane beyond normal mortal people. So the reason I say it, that, and give me one second, Brian. Being. Yeah, spirit, sure, spirit being. Um, and I'm going to jump to, I'm going to grab a verse just for reference, Job 38, 4 through 7. So in the book of Job, God is talking, okay, and this is God's voice. This is Yahweh's voice. And he says, where were you at my laying the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you if you possess understanding. Who determined its measurement? Yes, you do know. Or who stretched the measuring line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars were singing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, I think that's a really important verse because the verse that Brian mentioned, Genesis 6, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. That interpretation has drawn a lot of uh, attention. There, There's the pro-DCW folks out there, and there's anti-DCW folks out there. Um, and the anti-DCW folks, and Brian can probably do a better job than I can of explaining what they, how they what their thought process is, but they tend to try to round the corners of the sons of God, and they, and they try to imply this is just the sanctified Sethites or the sons of, of Abel, right? That these are just the holy people that God has chosen. That's very inconsistent because everywhere in the Bible, when it talks about the sons of God, much like this verse, I'm pretty sure that God's not implying that the Sethites were around to watch the earth created and shouted for joy, right? Like it's pretty clear those were angels that were saying, hey, good job, God, right? So like the words matter and, you know. Yeah, I was, I was gonna. No, I, I, I just, that, I just wanted to kind of, kind of make sure we were, we were, bringing that to a little bit of a tighter point before you, you went on to give it more, more yeah. body. Well, I was, I was going to just kind of lay out what the worldview is and then, then, then we could colleague, you know, address questions of why isn't this well known. And then there, the Sethite interpretation is what you're talking about, mm -hmm. which kind of became the thing in the centuries after the advent of Christianity. But it's, that's a kind of a different, story i just wanted to lay out what it is first but um so so really what we're talking about is that there is another plane there are spirit creatures and and god kind of did his work with them not with them just well, standing around and just being in awe right right even, even well, me... because i think one of the one of the first passages that, that really caught my attention as as I'm investigating churches was basically the creation story and how it starts off with, you know, let us go make these things. And then, and then they make people and then it jumps to a sequel that it, it talks about making people in, in God's image. 
right after that. So in my mind, I'm like, why are there two creation stories that are back to back? And what are we missing in, in that spot? And I, and I think that uh, the DCW or, or this worldview has kind of helped me reconcile that those, those first and early chapters of Genesis. That's just kind of, kind of, kind of my initial take on it. And then as, as, as Genesis progresses, and then we start getting into, you know, Tower of Babel and then Job, and then, um, what is it? Uh, uh, how, how it, how it, in Psalms, Psalms 82, and then how it, uh, it kind of connects with, with uh, Deuteronomy 32 and Daniel 10 and Kings 22. Like all, all these things, all of a sudden it starts making sense to me that they're not just separate stories that I learned in Sunday school, but they're actually a, a, a long narrative. And that narrative is actually woven together and not as disjointed as I learned it. Right. So, um, do, so do you what, wanna... so what, what about this information that the three of us well, decided that we wanted to talk about this so much so that we would actually name our podcast after, after elements of, of this thing. Well, I'm not sure we've adequately explained what it is yet, though. Um, well, that's okay. We, we we've got time to still do that, yeah. but uh, um, I don't I don't I'm not sure that. I mean, we could probably spend hours describing adequately well, what it is. But what what like about another, it is? Like, give me give me like another three minutes, and I can like I was. Let me and I'll run Please. it out. So, Go ahead. So you have you have this episode in Genesis six where the Watchers ascend, leads to the corruption of man, the Nephilim, all that stuff corrupts the earth, God floods it. Later on in the Tower of Babel, a lot of times, like, Christians typically read that as that they were trying to uh, to build a way for humans to get up to heaven. Good um, point, good point. That is totally wrong. Um, it's it's actually the opposite. Um, the, most scholars understand the Tower of Babel to have been an, a, a, a ziggurat. Um, some, some even identify it with a specific ziggurat, the ziggurat of Edmanaki, which is dedicated to Marduk. Um, a ziggurat is a man-made sacred mountain. It's a, and mountains were understood to be sacred places because they're kind of a meeting point between heaven and earth. That's why the watchers descended on Mount Hermon. So in building the ziggurat, they were trying basically humanity collectively was trying to to reinstate the arrangement of Mount Hermon. Like in the Garden of Eden and on Mount Hermon, Genesis six, this was this was the this was divine beings seducing and corrupting humanity the tower of babel was humanity first off rejecting god's command to to first to adam then reiterated to noah to multiply fill the earth and subdue it instead they wanted to be gathered into one place but also rejecting worship of god and seeking the favor of these lesser gods um they, they wanted to they wanted the Nephilim to come down so they can make a name for themselves like the Nephilim. They wanted to – that could be – that could be interpreted reasonably to mean they wanted to – they wanted to father more Nephilim. And also they wanted the – those – that forbidden knowledge that, their, that they'd heard about from their ancestors. And when you read the Book of Enoch and all of this material – alongside a lot of the uh, material that's been discovered in the ancient Near East, like the Enuma Elish and uh, stuff about the uh, 
the Anunnaki, they believe they had this belief in these divine beings called Apkalus, who if there's th- I'm, I won't bore you with all the etymological technicalities, but it essentially means watchers. There were these they they celebrated these beings as having descended to give them this this forbidden knowledge. And the Babylonians attributed their success as an empire to the knowledge given to them by these beings. <clears throat> so what the what the Babylonians celebrated as a uh, a source of enlightenment, the Jews condemned as a source of corruption. But the the understanding from the Tower of Babel was that because they did this, God disinherited humanity and said, you know, hey, if you want to if you want to follow after these lesser gods, have at it. And he he put them he he made the watchers uh, not the same watchers who had descended on Mount Hermon. They had been locked up in the abyss. Um, and there are some weird parallels there between with pagan with uh, Greek mythology, with the the Olympian gods overthrowing the Titans and casting them into Tartarus, but that's a we could we could have a whole other conversation about all of those those parallels. But but basically, God gave humanity over to the rule of these these lesser gods. But the very next thing He did was He called Abraham, or called Abram, who would He He would name Abraham to make a nation of his own out of him. And you see this summed up in Deuteronomy 32, which you, which you reference, where he talks about how the, uh, the, the nations were divided according to the number of the sons of Israel. I mean, I'm sorry. Some translations have it as the sons of Israel. The, <laughs> the, the, the Masoretic text has the sons of Israel. The earlier Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint have it as according to the number of the sons of God. The the Hebrew is Beni Elohim. And these same beings are referred to alternately as Beni Elohim, which means sons of God, or Elohim, which means the gods. Um, But Jacob he has set apart as his own portion. And so basically the, the plan, beginning with Genesis 12, was to was to redeem humanity back to himself. Uh, through his chosen people, eventually through the Messiah. Um, and then you see this reference in Psalm 82 where he, where God addresses the divine council, the, the council of gods, and condemns them for their corruption and tells them they'll be, they're, go- they're going to die like mortals um, because they've corrupted mortals. Um, and then the rest of the Bible is basically this conflict between these these gods to whom humanity had been entrusted but who became corrupt themselves and led to further corrupt humanity. And uh, with that background, and, you know, there's some merit to the Sethite interpretation that you mentioned. Um, like the, it followed Genesis six follows after Genesis four and five, obviously Genesis four gives us the genealogy of Cain and all of his descendants and what they did. And then Genesis five gives us the genealogy of Seth who are the, that's the chosen seed. And so it's understandable why in isolation somebody might interpret Genesis 6 to be a continuation of those two, to be referring to those two groups, but taken in the context of the entire Bible and the verses you mentioned uh, about the the sons of God being their creation, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense of the rest of the Bible in anything close to what the divine counsel worldview does. And in fact, there's so much about the Bible that, that that we tend to just sort of gloss over until we understand the divine counsel worldview, and then all of a sudden it explodes and it makes sense. Well, I think that was so, some of the linkage that 
that Dre was mentioning, right, about, you know, things start to start to make sense. And let me let me do a little high level of, of kind of what Brian said. So Genesis six watchers came down. Uh, they they saw human daughters. They had Nephilim. God was unhappy. He flooded the earth, jumped to the Tower of Babel. Mankind under Nimrod was trying to recreate Mount Hermon ostensibly, right? By trying to build this tower, God was unhappy with that. He scattered mankind. And then it's in the text that says that he scattered mankind to as many nations as, as the numbers of the sons of God, right? So basically he, he, he cast the rest of humanity into the hands of the other Elohim. And then he took his people back and created Israel. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the super high level of it. And then Psalms 82, um, which again, Dr. Heiser, I, I said, I wanted to be really fair to him. He references Psalms 82 as his aha verse, right? That he had read the Bible and had been taught to the point that Brian made. He was learning from the Masoretic text for the most part. He was learning kind of this uh, this alternative translation or interpretation of some, some, some of these books. Um, and then when he hit Psalms 82, he just, he couldn't reconcile that with what he had, how he understood the Bible up until this point. Um, and that's that discussion about God stands in the divine assembly and addresses the gods. That's essentially what Psalms 82 verse one says. And that's where the terming of the divine council worldview comes from, as I understand it from Dr. Heiser, is that that, that specific verse and the fact that God was standing in this divine assembly addressing other gods, other Elohim, lowercase g gods, right? Um, that's where this concept of this divine council kind of arose from, and hence the coining of the, the terminology and the way of looking at this. I just want to be really clear, both Dr. Heiser, probably over a hundred times in one of his books, let alone all of his other videos that he did in his interviews, this is not suggesting that Christianity is in any way, shape, or form a polyistic. Uh, that's, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, like, okay, so, 100 so what is, not. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, does that mean that that we should be polytheistic? Is there a pantheon yeah, of gods? No, 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 are, no. Are it's, we are we pagan? What is what? Are, what are we saying? It, here? Exactly we right. And it's funny yeah. that you that you ask the question that way because I've talked to some of my friends here, you know, here in town and had these conversations. I've been kind of uncovering this over the past couple of years, and I saw that you know the sideways heads and the the squinty eyes as people are trying to hear my point of view and go, you know, where are you going with this, Matt? Like, it sounds like you're going down this, this pagan pantheon kind of idea. And it's, and it's not that it's really no different. I mean, if you think about, you know, and I'm going to take a little Liberty. I'm not Catholic, but I've known Catholics. I've talked to Catholics. Catholics are very comfortable talking about all of these angels and their impacts and effects and the things that they do. And they even can't, you know, they, they, you know, they believe that saints turn into angels as they, when they're, when they're sainted and that kind of thing. And they got so, jobs, right? They got things to do. Everybody's got a job, right? You've got, you know, Michael's got a job and Gabriel's got a job and, and, and Satan has a job. We'll get into that later. Um, put a little pin in that conversation point, but that, that doesn't change. What we're saying is no different than the idea that these angels have jobs. We're simply suggesting that they had some type of a, you know, managerial input point with God as this was being created. You go back to Genesis, what was it? Genesis 1, 3, 1, 4, when the creation is happening and God says, let us make them like us. 
right? Let us make man in our image. In our image. God, he made them. And then, and then it says, then God made them in his image. But he, he's, he's having a conversation with the Elohim. He goes, hey, let's make men well, like us. That is, that is Michael Heiser's interpretation. It, it's, it's, it's one of his more controversial takes. Well, I, so, let, so but, let's talk about the, the alternative version, that the Godhead is having a conversation with itself. Well, himself. That's that is the that, that some people take that as supporting of supportive of the Trinity. Yeah. Right, right. Because because um, you know all throughout the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit and God talk. That happens constantly throughout the Bible, right? Uh, that's heavy sarcasm for those that can't see my face. Well, I, <laughs> there are there are verses where the angel of Yahweh refers to Yahweh in the third person, or Yahweh is speaking to Moses and refers to his angel, the angel of Yahweh, in the third person. So it's I, I don't I don't know that that idea is so ridiculous. I'm not I'm not dogmatic on either one. I just I just don't I don't just uh, I don't accept it because Michael Heiser interprets it that way. That's necessarily oh, that's what fair. it means. No, that's I, I entirely that's, true. I think he makes good arguments, but I'm not I'm not fully persuaded that it's that it's necessarily that as opposed to the other but i'm not fully convinced of the other either i, th- but, I think i think but cut you I, off. I do to your earlier point though Go ahead. Th- that just i i think i think we're all trying to emphasize that the 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 elohim that we're talking about plural these are created beings like back, back to what you said sure yes. that, that's pretty much the answer i was looking for when i asked the question i was kind of kind of kind of trying to pull that that little piece like hey just like we are created in his image that doesn't mean we're his only project right, right. so there, there's there's clearly things that were before us well and the the reason i make i i mean you you were trying to bring that point out but people do hear that and they they automatically people hear about the divine council worldview so many times i've explained this and people have been like what do you what are you mormon <laughs> right and well, no. as a matter of fact i'm i'm an honorary mormon so yeah so. But um, I want to I, I want to shift gears a little bit. And so we we talk about all the things that went wrong, right? And all the things that that why God flooded the earth, why He disinherited His nation. We we didn't mention the fall, but but there was the fall. What right. was the purpose before? How was it supposed to be if all these bad things didn't happen? What what is what are we trying to get back to? Well, I. I think all of the textual clues. Th- this is a controversial take, but it's a, it's a. This is something I am dogmatic on, and I would I would defend to the death. I like that you said both. This speaking. was controversial, and I'm also dogmatic on it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Love I, it. I know Love I, it. I, I know I'm going to be the odd man out on on some things, at least as far as people listening to us. But I, I I will make the case for this till I'm blue in the face, or until I hear a good argument to the contrary, which I never have. I've always just heard people, it, it conflicts with their theological system, so they reject it. But the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here we go. Um, there's there's a it's this is probably the most misinterpreted passage in all of human literature. Um, that people people call it the tree of knowledge, the tree of uh, knowledge, and as if knowledge itself is corrupting, um, <clears throat> or they 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 sound they uh, 
they argue that God planned for them to eat it. Like he, like that's what he wanted because he was trying to bring about, it was predestined or, or preordained to happen. No, I think there was, it was the, the fruit of a very specific kind of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. They learned, the, they got the knowledge of good and evil by doing the evil. With it came the knowledge of good and evil. It's, it's a package deal. I think the option was also available to them, which God and frankly, I would have preferred they learned the knowledge of good and evil by doing the good by not eating it. I think had they not eaten it, they would have uh, they would have become like God, knowing good and evil, and humanity would have been fully enlightened without the past uh, sad, blood-soaked story of human history. Um, but we were supposed to be God's God's image bearers on earth, and we were supposed to turn the entire world into this Edenic paradise. We were supposed to fill the earth and subdue it beginning with the Garden of Eden, um, because, because Adam ate the fruit, he learned, uh, he learned the shame of having done evil. Wait, I got to interject, because Eve ate the fruit and then tricked Adam into eating it. Did she trick him? I mean, I'm, I, that's, I'm, that's, that's my take, and I'm, stay, I'm sticking with that. Well, it just says she took the fruit and gave it to him, and he knew what he had done wrong. Um, yeah, what, what was the trick? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just convinced that Eve tricked Adam into doing it. Eve did it first. Do you, do you have a, but do you have a reason for thinking he was tricked rather than just wanting to go along with? Well, it was the same. It was the same trick that the that 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 the that the serpent played on Eve, right? Oh, okay. Clearly, I mean, you know, the the, the, the whole conversation was, you know, <laughs> you will die if you eat this, and then surely you won't die, and then. So, Somehow that, you know, battle of the wits won out and Eve ate it and then she didn't die. So, so then when she went to Adam, was and that I a ate trick, it, though? That's, well, and I, I did the serpent trick her? Maybe, maybe. I, I, Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I kind of think of it as, uh, as, as if, because we we're talking about the, the knowledge of good and evil. If the goal was to, to be God's image and work your way to being godlike. It seems like they took a shortcut. It was almost like a, this is this is a faster path to being like God. So I don't think that's a trick. I think that was a it was a hey, you yeah. can you can do it and learn all the experiences and do all these things, or you can eat this piece of fruit and be like God because you surely won't die, not today anyway, right? Well, I think the, I think the thing that and maybe maybe this will bring us some agreement here if just it, by clarifying the operative. The conflict there that the serpent that the serpent raised was uh, it was about whether they would trust God. Uh, the serpent said, "You know, has God really said this? Well, yet yeah, no. He uh, do not um, do not touch any fruit in the garden." So he made God sound more restrictive than he was, and Eve corrected him. No, he said, "We can't we can't touch this. We can't eat this fruit." Um, for if we touch of it, we will die, which is which is still not quite what God commanded. She was making God more restrictive, which maybe Adam told her that just to be on the safe side. Don't touch it instead of just don't eat it, because according the command was don't eat it. They could have they could have plucked it. They could have played soccer with it. They could have done anything they wanted with it as long as they didn't eat it. But but then the serpent says, well, you will not you will not surely die for when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, which was true. They did know they did become like God, knowing good and evil by doing that. But I don't think it was a matter of 
wanting to take a shortcut instead of hard work. It's that they didn't trust God. They, they believed God. They trusted the serpent that God was holding out on them. But had they trusted God over the serpent and not eaten the fruit, they would have gotten there just as fast but by doing the good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's so that's the term that's, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I agree or disagree. There's not enough information in the actual text. Right. To to, to form around. I mean, I, I, I get where you're making the the assumptive leaps. I get it. I don't know that I disagree with it. But I mean, we don't really know what God said because he doesn't he doesn't say it. It doesn't say said, it, it doesn't tell us what God said. It does. It, no, it doesn't. I, I'm looking at it right here. So verse three. So verse two ends and God hasn't given them an order about the tree. Are you re- are you looking in Genesis two? Yeah. Yeah. There's no mention of the tree of life in Genesis two. Uh, Genesis two eight. Now the Lord God had planted a tree and hold on. Um, it simply mentions it and it moves on. <clears throat> hold on. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He put the man He had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees. Oh, I'm sorry, verse time. 17. Sorry. Trees that were pleasing Jumped to the eye. Food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then. Right, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge. So God, so we have God's command right there. Yeah, and he says you shall surely die. Yeah. And so what what we know from that is that what we know from the text itself is that they did obtain the knowledge of good and evil by eating the fruit. Right. But by doing the evil, in other words. It was, what if they had done the good? Well, I mean, that, again, that's that's a, that's that's a very open in an interpretation, right? I mean, all, it's, you could also, it's, you know, it's, it's Schrodinger's tree, right? Schrodinger's well, fruit. It's both good and evil. It's only, it, it's only it's evil not, when you eat it. And it's good if you don't like. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're, if it's being put to you to eat the, to eat the, the fruit um, and you tell the serpent, no, God said this and you tell me this, I'm going to trust what God said. Because I because I love him and believe he has my best interest at heart. Unlike what you're saying, you're telling me he he's holding out on me. He's trying to withhold this good thing that I that I want. Um, I'm going to trust him that if he says not to do it, that's what's best. And then and just to reiterate, man is God. He's Adam had been made in God's image. He was God's ruler over all of creation. So he had the authority in that situation. He could have told the serpent, hey, get lost, you're lying. I don't, I don't believe you. How, how dare you insult the character of, of our creator? No, I, still think, I think Adam would have, but we got Eve to think for this. Well. But he still didn't. Because he he'd did already it. done it. Okay, so. So? So why, he, why couldn't he was, Adam? What's he going to do at that point? He's like, well, I mean, Eve ate it, and he, she's not he she's not dead yet. He could have he could have not eaten it. He could have. I mean, should have. He he <laughs> still. He, I mean, he still committed the same sin of distrusting God, and that's and and really the rest of the biblical narrative hinges on that that singular point: mm-hmm. do you or don't you trust God? Adam um, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Um, Israel's sin in the wilderness was not except for all that part with his with his slave. What do you mean? 
Ishmael. Well, yeah. I mean, it, he, I, Abraham wasn't perfect. He he tried to. Right. Uh, I I guess my I, I'm I'm being flip with the point that Adam and Eve create they 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 committed mm-hmm. one transgression against one rule. Then we got you know then we have biblical identities like David and Abraham and all these other guys did, you know, they made mistakes and they were allowed to make up for them. It's just kind of, it's interesting that this one was the first one and there was no like do over or second, second choice or anything like that for those, for those individuals. And then all of humanity paid for that one single mistake. We're not paying for that single mistake. We're paying for our own mistakes, but we inherit his nature. Well, we inherit, we inherited a fall, the fall, the fall. We start from the fall. Right. But that, that, but we, we have to make a, distingu- a, a distinction between inheriting Adam's fallen nature and, inha- and inheriting Adam's actual guilt. We're not, we're not held responsible for what Adam did, but we did inherit a fallen nature, and that's why we, we, that's why we live in a world where we need locks on doors and laws that say don't murder and steal. Well, and, okay, so, so let's <clears throat> little little thought experiment. Would Cain have killed Abel had they, not, had they still been in Eden? No. Right. Would the watchers have taken daughters of men if we were still in Eden? No. Right. So my point is everything but, that you're just talking about is simply a derivative of the fall, period. I'll stop. It all well, it's all because of the fall. Our days are numbered because of because of the fall. Yeah, but that's not the end of the story. No, agreed. Uh, we have a way back, but you know that doesn't you know but you know every all to your point you mean you made a very dramatic statement about all the bloodshed of what has been the history of humanity is all because of that one event yeah yeah i, I agree yeah it's just my, i'm just i'm not but i'm it, not i'm not i'm not passing judgment like, on it i'm just saying it's just an interesting point in in the in in the entire biblical story that you know david you know was was fl- so flawed right sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and he and, paid for it. Right, but he still re- was able to recover for it. And all of humanity doesn't suffer because of David. Well, yeah, but all of humanity isn't represented by David. But David's family was, uh, you, you know, you know how you know how he, you know, the story about Bathsheba, mm-hmm. how he had uh, Naaman the Syrian killed. Mm-hmm. Nathan the prophet mm-hmm. came to him and said, told him the parable about the lamb, and then David was outraged and said he has to pay fourfold for what he did. And then you're the, then Nathan said, you're the man. And then four of the David's sons died. Um, so he, he paid fourfold for his sin and then he lost the kingdom in the, in the second generation. But, right. I, 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 I'm with you on all of that. I'm just, I just, to me that they're, they're not equal. There's, there's not, a, there's not even close to another equal derivative of a bad decision than there is relative to, Adam sure. and the tree. It just it sounded like you were saying like God is unfair for No, I just I was for, just pointing out an interesting point. Like okay. I said, I'm not I'm not passing judgment on the divine. I'm saying it's just interesting. That's all. Okay. Well, that's surely not passing agree. judgment on God. <laughs> we've been we've been violently agreeing these past few minutes. Yeah. I was just pointing something <laughs> at it. And you're like so you're like fighting with me, and I'm like, well, look, I'm not backing off my point. It's still it's still an odd disproportionate uh, thing, but I mean, I'm sure there's well, purpose behind so, it. I wouldn't, but that, but the disproportionate is, is the thing I'm pushing back on. Um, how many people have and, existed on planet earth since, since Adam and Eve? Well, and there's a, there's a, 
Dre just cut his eyes like I, he was trying to do the math in his head real quick. He was like, I mean. <laughs> well, there's, I think a reasonable discussion could be had, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get rocks thrown at me by not, not necessarily you guys, but someone out there is going to go pick out a rock for my head. But uh, I think an argument, I think a, a, a worthwhile debate could be had about whether Adam was, is an individual historical or an archetype or an archetype. Um, I think there had to have been a first behaviorally modern man, yeah. and I would call that person Adam. Yeah. But Adam in Hebrew just means man, and so it, it within the within the text itself, it could be taken as a, as an archetype to represent all of humanity. No, so, I, I I think I agree with you broadly. I mean, I mm. I think the story of Adam and Eve, <clears throat> their existence, and where they existed actually aligns with anthropological studies of the evolution of the, the you know homo sapien right there were other i don't know what the right term is when i say homos that doesn't it's not what i mean in the in the slang parlance but you know homo erectus and homo uh, yeah i know what you there mean was, how, there was there was eight or um, nine different hominids right i still need to read this it's the uh, the genealogical Adam and Eve, the surprising science of universal ancestry by S. Joshua Swamidas. Um, but but, uh, but I yeah, I, I just it. I mean I think I think that the you know God creating Adam and Eve is could be as simple as simple as could be as easily understood as the first version of a evolved you know Homo sapien. Well, well, and then that doesn't that, mean that, that there weren't others that evolved at other times and other places, because, you know, we can we could we could we could segue over to the conversation around, you know, where did Cain go when he was cast out of the of, out of the garden? Yeah. Well, and if we look at what, what an interesting. Sorry, Dre is chomping at the bit to say something. And No, I'm just saying, like, we we're starting to go. We're going down a big, deep Adam and Eve rabbit hole when we're kind of a divine council worldview. Are you saying this has, this has nothing to do with the divine a... council? I'm not going to say it has nothing to do. I'm just saying it's one aspect. And and I think that that was the point that Brian made earlier when we were trying to describe what this is, is is that each aspect in and of itself is is pretty detailed and nuanced. And, um, yeah, that's fair. You know, right. for, but I, and I think, well, I was going to make a point about just the quick just the just the drive by if you look at how anthropologists define anatomically modern humans versus behaviorally modern humans and look at how the how the bible de defines adam having been made in the image of god mm -hmm. the 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 distinguishing characteristic that anthropologists make is the capacity for abstract symbolic thought and communication i.e. Right. language sure well, and uh, and and, sure. and Dre, that was the conversation we were having about the the belief in a fictional concept like government or, or organization right. and that kind well, of thing. Well, it's not a fictional concept, but it's a but it's a linguistically constructed concept. I, I, it's just the language that this guy sure. used. He but, he uh, he used the, the the term fiction, right? So as we're okay. as we're right. talking about giving people credit, right? So the book is *Sapiens* that the, is that the World Economic Forum guy. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari. I don't know. Yeah, I think that guy might be. Him. Yeah. Well, because the 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 first at the top, it's Bill Gates giving him his review, so probably yeah, he is a world economic forum guy. Yeah, sorry. 
I mean, I mean, there's there's civilization, right? And and the right. and the crescent of civilization was right there in the fertile crescent of Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it kind of falls in the line, phrase, right? The phrase abracadabra. It's uh, it's a, it's Aramaic. It means as I speak, I create. It's it's uh, it's it, it's believed by some to have originated with ancient Kabbalists before Kabbalah was called Kabbalah. Um, but uh, the point the point of it is that Adam was being made in God's image. He was participating with God in creation by naming the animals, and it's this power of language. Sure. That gives us our creative powers, and it's 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 interesting to me that the you find that in the in the book of Genesis and in ancient Jewish mystics, and then modern anthropology catches up with that. But um, but to the uh, divine council worldview, though, I think I, the New Testament, the under the new covenant. I mean, the I always thought the Great Commission was kind of I didn't understand what the big deal was. Like I understood it was Jesus ascending to the right hand of the, of the father. But when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I always kind of thought like, well, if God is already running the show, why is that a big deal? Well, the divine council worldview frames that in a way that, like it explains that all of the other nations, they are under the dominion of these other gods. Yeah, he, he took them back. Yeah. He said, yeah now, now I'm back. And this is, right. This right. So is, remember that thing that, that Yahweh did back when you idiots were building your ziggurat? Well, we're, we've moved on past that now, and it's time to bring everybody back under under singular control. Right. But like Jesus has all the authority, and it's not just that Jesus is in, in control of the nations, but humanity has taken back the nations through Jesus. We are, Paul says that we are, we are, he's speaking in the present tense, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Like we, we are ruling with Christ as members of, of the church. We are co-heirs, we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And when he talks about how uh, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, he's talking about, he's talking about humanity in Christ, replacing the gods on the divine council. We there's been there's been a change of the the board. The board hey, seats have, have been changed out. You're fired. You're fired. But uh, you're fired. Yeah, but where it talks about how we're going to judge angels, um, that's what it's referring to. But it's and it's you know to open another can of worms. The, the popular version of Christianity has it that it's about if you, if you believe in Jesus, you when you when you die, you go to heaven instead of hell as a disembodied spirit or soul. Um, it's really not talking about that at all. It's talking about immortality uh, in this world restored, to, restored and renewed to its uh, intended Edenic state. Um, so it's. It's really a different narrative than than what we're told. It's a, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a different religion. And, and and to be clear, when you're saying that what we're told, you're talking about what we're told by modern Christian teachers versus what we're told in the book. Just, just being right. clear, I, I know what you mean, but I'm saying that for any listeners, because when we're talking about what we're told, sometimes we're referencing 
you know, the word versus people. But yeah, I think, yeah. I think we've, we've, so we've, the three of us have had this conversation a lot that, uh, you know, the average person, I think we might've said it in a previous episode, but, you know, just for those, for the new listeners, um, you know, the biggest challenge with viewing things through this DCW perspective or this lens, even going back to, you know, we talked about Genesis one and Brian and I disagreed a little bit on maybe what it means, what it doesn't mean. The reality is, the, the perspective or the read that I presented is impossible without a divine council worldview as you're reading the text, right? And whether or not the interpretation's right, you can't get there any other way because otherwise you look at it and go, the heck? And you just kind of move on because you're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to move on. Don't know if he's talking to himself or what, so I'm just going to ignore it and, and move along smartly kind of thing. And that's, that's you know, for me, I think that's always- I'm just going to move on to the the nativity scene the, right the going. easy stuff right and, and where the yeah. songs come in and you know deep and wide and you know whatever um yeah. but that's always been a problem for me um even as a kid i've always been kind of uh i don't want to give myself the credit and say i'm a critical thinker but i like to ask why so whatever that means about me right but i you know it, that's a tough place to be in when you're being taught about christianity as a eight nine ten eleven year old right the the, the, the the wonderful women that teach Sunday school aren't really built to handle whys from a theological why from a ten year old, <laughs> right? It's and, it's tough, and, and, and I and I'm and I'm trying to be as generous and gracious to all of the ladies that are out there teaching. My wife does it. My wife teaches Sunday school for like five and six year olds, and she's woefully unprepared to have a theological argument about why, right? She's given information to try to help along and get these kids started on their on their theological journey. It's a tough, it's a tough job. And it what, and I know Brian and I've had this direct conversation that the problem is that very few people continue to evolve their theological view after 12, 15 ish, right? We pretty much learn our things. Dre, you made that comment about Sunday school and the happy songs and the easy verses, and then we're done. And then most people stop going to church in their twenties. They go to college, they get too cool and too smart for God. And then at some point they grow up and they come back to church, but they're past their wife stage of life. Hey, Matt, if you're, if you're going to lean, lean, lean the other direction. Am I falling out keep, of frame? You keep, yeah. I can't lean that way, dude. My gangster lean only goes one way. Well, and like, <laughs> maybe you're, I guess, I guess we're going to have to talk to your shoulder then. I don't know. I can't tell where the center of my screen is. My, my screen's so wide in my, in my, in my box. Right. So I, I guess. I guess the, that uh, the, the last couple minutes that we've been that we've been talking, we're kind of leaning toward uh, what is what does it mean? Like why 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 are we doing this? Why does Practically this matter? Speaking, why why does that even matter? You know, I mean, if if it, if the only thing that matters about your salvation is faith in Jesus Christ, what is what is all this other stuff? And why do we do it? Well. I think faith in him for what is a is is a good follow up question, and we a lot of a, a lot of the answers you get from that is uh, would be uh, you know to go to heaven when we die. It, it's not that's not in there. It's uh, or what do, what do we believe about him? Right? Like, do we only believe that he died and rose for our sins? And, well, yeah, and, and that's and that kind of goes back to the Garden of Eden question. The whole thing hinged on do they. Do they trust him? Are they are they willing to 
to are they willing to to obey him? Are they willing to do what he says because uh, they believe he has their best interests at heart because their their best interests are in following him? Um, it wasn't a question of what they believed about God. It's about whether they trusted him personally, his character. Like when and when Abraham said uh, when it said about Abraham, he he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, well, God's existence was not in question for Abraham. He had seen him. He'd, he'd spoken with him directly. Same with the Israelites in the wilderness. But what it's but we tend to we tend to construe faith as a matter of what you believe less than in whom do you believe. Like if I say, Dre, I have faith in you. Obviously, I'm not saying I, I believe you exist despite there being no evidence. Um, I, 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 it means I believe the best about you. It means I believe your promises. Um, I believe you're, you'll do what you say you're going to do. So when we say we, we trust in Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, it means we take up his cause. Well, what is that? Well, he's taking back the nations. Um, he has authority over the nations now, but he doesn't have their obedience. And that's that's the thing. That's and that's what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be. We are the body of Christ. We're we're the temple of God on earth. We are supposed to be his his vessel and an agent for for bringing back the nations. And that's what we see the apostles do. But we're so we're do, sort of. Do we as individual Christians have a different commission than say the church? Uh, no, as as individual Christians, we are the church. Um, when, you, when you say the church, what do you mean, Joe? You mean the the Roman Catholic Church, or do you mean what do you what do you mean? I I just mean uh, the uh, a community of, of of Christians, the the church, you know, the religion, the theology. What is what is it? We, does it does it have a, a different role than, than what we do as individuals? I think the answer is no, it doesn't because we are it. Right? Yeah. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Right. So a lot. So a lot of people. You I know, made they, that. They I threw that. This, I was going to say I threw that where my church is remodeling and renovating a building, right? So on Saturday, I got asked with a group of the men go up and tear down ceiling panels and whatnot, right? So we made this big mess. We worked for like two, four hours. It's hot, sweaty work, right? I looked at my pastor and I recited that verse. I said, "You know that wherever two or more of us are, there is the church." Like, why are we doing all of this? <laughs> That's right. I was like, "Bruh." <laughs> yeah, this, this but we're so preoccupied with this idea of individual salvation, and we talk about spiritual warfare in in church, but it's 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 always very abstract. Like it does, like it's. If if you unpackage what they mean, it, it usually just means something like overcoming negative emotions or or overcoming temptation. But it's which isn't entirely wrong, but it it kind of misses the big picture. We actually are at war with the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Those are when when Paul mentions that that it's not a it's not against flesh and blood that you struggle, but against the the rulers, the powers, the the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. He's talking about the divine council that has gone corrupt, and we are in a war with them. And the entire the entire point of the of the Bible is that. When that war is over, Jesus returns, and they're overthrown and destroyed. So their objective is to bide as much time as possible 
to keep us distracted and indolent and and ineffective as long as possible because as long as they do that there's they got a stay of execution they they get to exist but if if they're if they're these heavenly beings or these different realm unseen beings surely they're they're intelligent right why why would they think they could win this in the first place what was their what was their goal what are what are they struggling with well but that's the thing they they don't think they can win like the outcome is determined they know they are doomed they know that they are going to lose so they're but they but they can but they can hold that off indefinitely there, but when no, did they know they were going to lose why start this endeavor it's a fair I, that's an interesting question i, I think Psalm right so so that's fair okay okay well but but that, psalms 82 that, happened before before the initial round of watchers were, were cast into the pit right are you sure i, I I ended that with a question mark. I said, didn't oh, they? Right, yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I would say he's addressing the, in Psalm 82, he's addressing the, the watchers to whom he he gave humanity over at the Tower of Babel. Right, which happened well after Genesis the 6. Flood, right. That was my point. Right. So Genesis 6 happens. I'm sorry. Right. The watchers from Genesis 6 that made the Nephilim, the Nephilim right. daddies. Right. They were cast into the pit. <laughs> right. So my point is, it wasn't those watchers that were being talked to in right. I'm sorry, I Psalms 82. There you I go. thought okay. you were saying Psalm 82 was before they were thrown into the pit. Yeah, the first was, round, the first chunk. Well, yeah, no, Psalm 82 was after they were Correct. thrown into the pit. Correct. So, so, yeah, but, uh, but so they wouldn't be in the boardroom, is my point. They were in the they were in right. the, they were in the boiler room. Yeah, and that's that's kind of why the uh, the stories about the the gods of Olympus overthrowing the Titans and the Titans being locked up in Tartarus, mm-hmm. like it's got these weird parallels Absolutely. to, like now the gods to whom God has has disinherited humanity and delegated our our rule, they're claiming they've they've enticed humans away from worshiping God to worshiping them. <laughs> That's that's the the gods of Olympus. Um, but uh, so so I'm asking. So is did the Elohim think that they won after God said, "Okay, fine, the, you, I've disinherited." So they're like, oh, "Cool, we win." That's well, these I are now our our people. I don't, I don't because why would, why would you continue this? Why would you say, "Whoa, no"? I think I'll I think I'll rule them the way you want to, which would which would make no reason for God to chastise them in Psalm 82, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I mean, we can only speculate because we don't. Yeah, have I can't get in the head of a demon, right? I can't. But <laughs> I, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, it, for all we know, it happened by gradual degrees. Like they made compromises here and there, and then before you knew it, they were demanding worship. But what an interesting point! I was, I would, since you asked, and it, this is a convenient time to go back to it. So he flooded the earth to to rid the earth of Nephilim. Um, and to to wash the world clean of the corruption of the of the Mount Hermon watchers, but then later on when they're when they're conquering the Promised Land, like the, like the whole book of Joshua is about ridding the Promised Land of these beings called the Rephaim. They're sometimes called the the Anakim, the sons of Anak. Anak was one of these Rephaim, these these giants who are basically uh, Nephilim, and and they're set in their time. Which raises the question of, well, if God flooded the earth to get rid of them, why are they showing up again? Yeah. Did and the flood fail? 
Well, it says in well, Genesis. It says in Genesis, and they existed after. Well, the Nephilim were on the earth and also afterwards, but right. it doesn't say afterwards of what. It just says uh, it makes after it, it makes it sound like after the story I'm about to tell you. Well, you could read it that way, but if the if the you point have to flood, read it that way because they did exist later in the Bible, though. Well, but hold on, but the, and Heiser gets into this, and I can't remember if it's reversing Herman or the unseen realm. I wrote him a question. I, I here's what I think, and I and I and this is another thing where I'm pretty sure this is the explanation. I wrote him to ask him, and I never got a response, and unfortunately, he's passed away, and so I guess I never will. But uh, if you do, let me know. He, never. Uh, Never. <laughs> well, I, I won't need to ask him by that point. At that point, but uh, <laughs> but uh, so in the Tower of Babel, it, they were trying to reinstate the arrangement of Mount Hermon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the a ziggurat is a man-made sacred mountain to receive gods from the heavens, so they'll come down and commune with humanity <clears throat> when. When Moses and the Israelites kill Og, king of Bashan, Bashan is this 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 realm in northern uh, north of Israel. It's it's supposed to be this uh, this kind of demonic place, this gate to the underworld, um, and it describes his his iron bed, and it's the it happens to be the it's this huge bed that Marduk would was attributed to. I'm not sorry, not Marduk, King Og of Bashan. Heiser points out that the, the bed is the same dimensions as the sacred bed of Marduk, which was atop the, uh, the ziggurat of Edmanaki. So why do you have a bed on top of a, a temple? Mm-hmm. Um, to make Nephilim? Right. And a lot of ancient Near Eastern religion revolved around sex. Like you had, uh, the, you had Baal and Asherah worship throughout the Old Testament, um, and they talk about shrine prostitutes. The thinking of the the ancient Near East was that when it would when it would rain, like they like pagan pagans understood gods to be basically personified forces of nature. Right. Like Zeus is like if it's a bright sunny day out and then some clouds rolled in, well that's that's Zeus exerting his dominance over over Apollo. Mm-hmm. And if you go out to sea and there's a hurricane wipes out your fleet, well you must have pissed. Poseidon off, and you should have offered sacrifice before you left. Everything that happens in nature is a god expressing their displeasure or their or their favor or whatever. So that's what pagan worship was, placating the gods. So when they worship Baal, when their understanding of 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 uh, of rain was that this was Baal, the storm god, having sex with Ishtar, the earth goddess, and his rain, his the rain was to seed that fertilized the crops. And so if there was a drought, well, then they needed to, they needed to get him in the mood. And so you had all of this, and this, you had all this ritual set. It's basically live porn. So the, so the yin yang yeah, twins are, are, are pagans and with their, what? Uh, Hugh, Hugh Hefner had to like, Hey, listen, they brought in Larry Flint to save the day. Well, if they were trying to end a drought, I guess that might have yeah. been the reasoning. But, but nice. the, the point, is, like this is, this is just one example of how pa- a lot of pagan worship, especially in the ancient Near East, it revolved around sex. Um, there was this sort of sympathetic magic sometimes. In that in that instance, sometimes it was actual priestesses being 
you know, wait, awaiting the descent of the god on the top of the, the ziggurat for Marduk to come down and, and ravish her. And given the fact, I don't know this, I've, I've been trying to research it to, to get more evidence to, to the effect, but my understanding of it, based on the fact that the Tower of Babel was an attempt to reinstate that, so much of their worship was revolved around ritual sex and sex with gods and sex between gods, sex between gods and mortals. New new Nephilim are showing up. The, the dots seem to connect that they repeated the behaviors that occurred in Genesis 6, and that's where the new fame came from. Um, and so, because uh, it seems like if God fled to the earth to get rid of them, he, he you know, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have failed. Um, so, um, you know, it might've been that back to your question about, well, what, what were the, what are the, what are the, the watchers thinking? Why would they rebel again? Um, maybe they were, they just humans enticed them, but, uh, it's, it's you're, you're blaming the priestesses for how they dressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm slut shaming. You're, vic- you're victim shaming. Yeah. I'm, you're you're priest shaming. Oh, priestess shaming. But are they are they victims? I'm, I'm not sure they're the victim though. I think uh, I think the poor the, the, the poor uh, now it's God now it's now it's the poor the poor Elohim. I mean, they, is yes. that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing? Was, Did we just really? I mean, look down the daughters of men. It was like I mean, I have I've well, had the same problem. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I I'm not saying I do it, but I understand. It's like God. <laughs> no, I I get it. It's like God leaving humanity to babysitters. That and were, the babysitters sleep with right the kids right um, right. It's kind of that literally. Yeah, like, I'm not trying to make no, it no. Work, it is. I, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah no, it does, it does make sense. But I think I think so. I think that a big takeaway from this, and I mean, we could kind of spin on this for a while, but one of the takeaways that I I like uh, from this overall, call it theology point of view perspective, is one of supreme. Um, uh, self-control self agency and uh and um you know free will right i mean clearly clearly there's free will of abundance the elohim had free will humans have free will nephilim have free will right um it's definitely not there's very little in this way of thinking that i can see personally that aligns to one of predetermination or predestination it's just yeah that's kind of my our, my simple takeaway our, our choices have stakes and they they matter mm-hmm. um and if you and it kind of has uh I, i'm this this might be a whole other podcast but it, it's certainly relevant to uh um jesus told the apostles speaking to the broader church, what you bind on earth could be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth could be loosed in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um, throughout the, throughout the old Testament, you see these scenes playing out in heaven where the sons of God are coming before God and just, and deciding the fates of humanity um, based on who's, who's guilty. What accusations can Satan bring to, to state his claim on on humanity and if humans were sinful um well then they they were he had a, he had a claim um like can you see uh your like first kings is it second kings 22 where uh 
the prophet tells uh, King Ahab and the other guy. I wish I had in front of me, but I think you know the verse where I'm talking. The verse I'm talking about where uh, the sons of God came before God and the divine council, and and uh, one of them said, "What should I do to King Ahab?" and and well, the Lord asked, "What what should we do to King Ahab?" And one of them said, "I'll send a lying spirit to to lead him into battle." And uh, that's just a glimpse of of this happening. But basically, humans are like these little these these pieces on a on a board that they're moving. Um, but it is largely a function of what we deserve and what we've brought up upon ourselves by our behaviors and our choices. But in the new covenant, with G- if we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, we're not pieces on a board anymore. We're we're players. We're, the things that we do as the church, it matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one example of this, and then I think this is going to be controversial, especially if, if you're Catholic. Um, do we want to offend Catholics this early on? I think. We, uh, I, I think, in all seriousness, we should probably. I meant to talk about this in a in a po- in a pre-production meeting, but I think it would make a lot of sense if we were to be delicate with the uh, with all denominations writ large, um, at least within the actual Christianity umbrella. What we, Muslims might we might be a little more loose and free with, but mm. uh, it probably makes sense to be a little well, a, a little a little kid glove with how we well, address some of these things. Now, obviously I just took a, I took a little bit of a shot at, 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 uh, um, pre, you know, predestination, but that wasn't, I don't know that that was, they got Calvinists have it coming. They don't count. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll use, um, 10 ounce gloves. You know, we're not, not, not four ounce gloves. I mean, 10, 10 ounce gloves. They still, they still well, hurt. They, I, and they sting. That's right. So I, I think that's kind of the point of of what we're doing. Things are going to hurt. This is not your grandma's Sunday school. Um, okay. Things are going to be a little weird, a little bit different. If people are offended, with, I was more concerned with pacing than with offending. Well, well my book. Bo- well, but so, but, Dre, but Dre, finish your finish your thought. I, I, I'm just saying, hey, if it if it gets if it gets a little dicey, then then so be it. But I think. I think that we've stated it up front that we become with sincere heart and we also have a comment section, right? So if anybody disputes, because we're not experts and maybe we have or say something that's out of turn or, or, or not correct. And I'm okay being corrected by it. Right. But I don't, I, I guess my thing is there's a difference in going at a, a concept, which is very different than going at an entire group of people. Well, okay. I would agree. Right. I so like I sure. took, I took I my gonna, shot at predetermination, but I didn't, but I didn't name Calvinists okay. as an, as an example. Right. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say, Hey, all <laughs> yeah. you Calvinists, you freaking idiots. There's okay. no such thing as predestination. Well, right. Let me, just, let me just make the point. I wasn't, I wasn't going to attack Cal- Catholicism directly, but just by implication. Yeah. I think, right. I think if it, if the shoe fits, that's I different. Think that's right? fair so, yeah. I think so. so here's, yeah. Here's a, here's, here's one of the reasons. Cause you're going to get attacked. Sure. Here's one of the ways that the divine council worldview should apply to – it gives us a, a an overview of history, a way to understand the meaning of history and of church history in particular. And, and to illustrate my point, 
So a couple of observations. First, you have Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by, by the devil. The devil takes him to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, and says, these have been given to me, and I can give them to whoever I please. If I will give them to you if you bow down and worship me. And then Jesus said, uh, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Um, but the thing, like, first off, that is the divine council worldview there. The kingdoms of the world had been given to the devil. Um, Jesus' mission was about winning them back. That's what the Great Commission was. But what I think was happening there was the devil was offering him, well, you, you know, you should raise up a, a Jewish, a, a uh, you should lead an army and overthrow the Roman Empire, set up a Jewish empire in its place. Then you can have all the kingdoms of the world. Um, that would that would have been effectively worshiping the devil by imposing the gospel by force, because by definition, it can't be imposed by force. It's salvation by grace through faith, not by the works of the law. Law is a matter of government. It's imposed on you by a government. It's co you're coerced by threat of force to comply with it. And so for the first four centuries of its existence, Christianity spread by persuading people of its merits, often against what the law said, often at great personal cost. The, all of the all of the coercion was on the other side, but people people became Christians knowing the price they paid because they believed in it because it was a it, because it's a matter of personal conviction and it has to be voluntary. When the church merged with the Roman state in the fourth century and then Christianity became coercive, a lot of a lot of historians characterize that as the the final stage of the Christianization of Rome. I say it's the opposite. It's it was the it was the Romanization of Christianity. It was the church giving in to the to the temptation that Jesus rejected of all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor if they if we will bow down to worship him. It's the church taking up the sword so they can impose something called Christianity by force, and then a thousand years of darkness ensued. But I think if we if we read that according to the divine council worldview and understand it in terms of uh, what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Well, now because the church had bent the knee to the devil by using by accepting violence as a legitimate tool of advancing God's kingdom, well, now the the violence is fair game now he has the right before within the before god as a member of the divine council to create his own rival religion that is that spreads by by violence i think the church merging with the roman state in the fourth century loosed the way for the devil to speak to muhammad and and create Islam. I, I, I could tell you were going there i i i, I <laughs> I can I can see all the signs like, hey, exit twenty two, now, Hollywood, Islam country. And, and by the way, so, I, I say that solely on the principle. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not saying anything else about Islam other than something that they would fully agree with. It it is coercive. It's it's there's no distinction between church and state in Islam. It's a political system as much as it is a religion. It says that you that uh, there has to be a, a human ruler imposing the will of Islam of, of Allah by force, and they believe this is right. Um, 
all I'm doing is pointing out that that is antithetical to what we find in the Bible, to, to the to the new covenant, to what Jesus modeled and taught. Um, but it also happens to be the way the Roman Catholic Church existed for thousands of years, or for a, about a thousand years until the Reformation. I mean, the, the go ahead. Which anti-Christians will quickly point out, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you speak of this peace and love, yet for all these centuries, you you know you you force Christianity with the tip of the sword. Yeah, and this is. And that's another illustration of how we're we're locked in a cosmic war, and the enemy's objective is to keep us derailed and distracted as long as possible, to, to buy as much time. And as long as he does that, he's effectively he can he can hold off his sentence indefinitely by doing that. But so, do you do you think that we're losing this war? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we are. Is there optimism to turn this war around? Uh well. I would say based on everything we can see, we're, 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 all the signs say that we're standing at the doorstep of, of another thousand years of darkness. But we, we follow a Messiah who we, we claim to believe in and follow a Messiah who walks on water and raises the dead and calls us to do the same. So I would say that turning it around is impossible, but that's irrelevant because we should if we're not trying to do the impossible, if we're not doing the impossible, not trying, if we're not doing the impossible, we can't really claim to have faith. Um, if we, a, a church that is faithful, you, you make doing, the great commission sound like the Kobayashi Maru. Um, well, it, it is except, uh, you know, we're captain Kirk. We can, we can, uh, we can break it and we can we cheat. cheat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you rewrite the code. It's actually, but, our our Messiah has won the right to rewrite the code. That's, right. that's the thing. But my my point is that a church that's faithful, that's do, doing our job, cannot lose. We have got the power of God Himself. Even though it it looks dire, it looks like all hope is lost. It is not. We just have to decide to do it. We could we could end the war within our lifetimes if if we if if enough people start. Turning back and I, abandoning this. Uh, I swear you just described the Matrix storyline. Yeah, maybe I subconscious. Maybe I was subconsciously channeling some some uh, Morpheus. But to be fair, they got most maybe of that. Maybe the Matrix is semi-inspired, right? Well, they boy, were boy, the writers would be pissed, yeah. wouldn't they? You're right. Well, I mean, Andrew Tate you know, says we're in the Matrix right now. So. Oh. I use I use that uh, that that scene at the end of the first one where he uh, hangs up the phone and he looks up and he flies. I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect out a perfect illustration of what the resurrection is in history. Mm-hmm. Breaking um, breaking the laws of physics. Well, showing be- showing that the the world they believe exists around them. It, there's a larger world beyond it. Mm-hmm. There, there are things that transcend this world. That's the only explanation for what's happening. And that's what the resurrection is supposed to be. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, f- I feel like, I feel like there's so much more we could have said about the divine council worldview. And I'm, I'm thinking if there's there any is. other, we'll, we'll have to come back around to it. It's a, well, there's a lot. Right? Clear as mud. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's unclear. It's just that it's so the 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 Bible is very is so vast and sprawling, and it also 
no, it's it's clear it's clear to you, but you know, explaining it and and pulling, uh, you know, millennia of tradition off of somebody's eyes. Well, you guys or, have seen that graphic, right, with all of the books of the Bible and the verses and all the yeah. interconnections, and it looks like a freaking. I don't even know how to describe it, yeah. but it's like there's like 400 lines yeah. going back yeah. and forth. It looks like a. Uh, it looks like a. a, a it looks like a, a chart of like some atomic material uh, phenomena or something. Like, uh, but, you know, fellas, if, if we could explain this in, in two hours, then we would have no need for a podcast. <laughs> so, so, are, you, so clearly are you suggesting we're, be, we're dragging our feet on purpose? <laughs> no, I'm suggesting there's that much material. <laughs> I, I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that that uh, it seems like Brian's disappointed that he didn't. Oh, I agree. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't pitch this thing. And I think I think he quitted himself really well. And and we just have a lot more to cover, but I, a I lot agree. more topics and a lot yeah. more examples and a lot more things to to press against other worldviews that, that we have before us. Or or in a complete and total opposition to that concept. I could just quote Einstein and say, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it that well. Well, well I mean, maybe we don't understand it enough to so, to really, really, you know, teach no, others yet. I, I, to I'm, counter I'm, that, just, though, to counter that, though, could Einstein explain relativity to general audiences with ease? I think he could. I, I don't think he ever did once. I think I don't know. He was there, ever asked. There's a famous. There's a famous. Yeah. Well, there's a famous quote. Well, sure he sure he was. He was. Oh, he, talking about? Like, he, went on le- he went on lecture tours. But uh, but somebody we still don't know what the F he's talking about. Um, I I feel like well anyway. Let me make two more points about this, and they're quick and they're more like teasers for future podcasts. Does it involve Shazam? No, but oh dang it! Oh, don't okay, well don't, then. Don't, don't seed him with more. <laughs> okay, now I got to make three quick points. Uh, well, that no Shazam, no Star Wars, the original trilogy. No. <laughs> no, what's your two points, man? Okay, a lot of people. Two points. A lot of the a lot of the objections that typically come up to this is, well, why why you know how could the church have been going chugging along for two thousand years, and the, and this is and this is only now coming up. Um, fair question. Like there's this saying that if it's new in theology, it's it's wrong, which is technically true. But what people usually mean is if 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 it's not already in my tradition, then I'm automatically going to reject it. I can understand if Catholics say that because they believe that their Catholicism has been constant for since for two thousand years. No Protestant has any business saying that. Um, because Protestantism has only been around for 500 years, and it, it hasn't. It's it's always in flux. Um, so if you if you think that the Protestant Reformation was legitimate, that the Church had been in existence as it was for a thousand years, and then all of a sudden Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, and now there's now we're not going to listen to the Pope or or worship Mary or ask for the intercession of saints and all that stuff. Well, then you should be open to other things that need to be changed as well. Um, and it's in technically it isn't new in theology. This is this is a return to what Christianity was. 
And if it's true that we're in a war with with spiritual forces of darkness, we should expect that they want to throw us for a loop. They want to distract us and deceive us. And we were warned by Jesus and the apostles that many false Christs and false prophets will come and they will deceive many. They will the uh, in Second Peter, he said they will. They will exploit you with stories they made up. The, the literal wording is they will make a business out of you with, with plastic words. Um, so, and of course, there's the, the broad gate and the narrow road that Jesus talked about. So just if, if you think that you're, you're safe and you're right because you're, you're in the largest herd, you're not listening to Jesus. That's, that's one point I wanted to make. Another point. Oh, there's another point. Go ahead. Um, if you watch like the Netflix, this sounds this is going to sound like it's coming out of left field, but here you guys know where I'm going with this. Um, if you watch the Netflix series Ancient Apocalypse, Graham Hancock, to my best knowledge, is not a Christian. He's not out to 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 prove the Bible or prove Christianity. But watch that series and what he's and what he uncovers about ancient civilizations. Um, you kind of have this same story showing up. All over the world, you have you have these divine beings coming down to mingle with humans, um, a divine wrath that wipes them out in a in a flood, and then there's some me- some megalithic monument built afterwards as a, as a ward against it. But like the way that you see the Bible paralleled with the Apkalus in in Babylonian mythology, you have kind of the same parallel all over the world. And so whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe us or believe Dr. Heiser or believe in the divine council worldview or not, you have this same story. Aliens, I think are Nephilim, but, uh, they're like, they, I, I love Joshua that you said that. Joshua didn't <laughs> what, what's that? I, I love that you said that. Hey, go ahead. Finish your point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think I, aliens are Elohim. Um, okay, well, that's another discussion, but I wonder if we can get that guy I on think, our show. I, I think we're on the verge of a humanity is on the verge of a major paradigm shift in terms of our understanding of our own story and the the history from <clears throat> before the, the the end of the last ice age. I mean, humanity has been in existence for fifty thousand years, or be- behaviorally modern humans. Have been in existence for fifty thousand years. We only have like the last four thousand years of of written history, with and everything we assume about Isn't what happened. Four thousand a little little much. We don't. I, I I'm including I'm including like cuneiform from Mesopotamia where they just recorded like how many bushels of wheat they grew that season okay. and stuff okay. like that. But we have but. P, p, Historians and anthropologists are, are able to infer quite a lot from what little is written down. So yeah, to be but inferring is a scientific scientific way of saying guessing. Well, it, it's educated guesses, but the I mean I see your point, and I, it's and you're kind of reinforcing my point. I, you might be overstating from what I would put it, but we have we have this little sliver of what we what we know about history from what humans have been writing down. And then there's about another like 46,000 years before that, that we know that behaviorally modern humans have existed. Mm -hmm. And we assume they were all just sort of walking along 
being primitive hunter-gatherers using stone tools. But with the discovery of Gobleki Tepe, um, a lot of these other uh, ancient monuments that that Graham Hancock uh, brings to light, um, there all of the evidence is pointing toward a civilization that was far more advanced than we realize, and a whole story there. And well, yeah, there's all the Mayan stuff and the the proto Mayan stuff that goes back a good, you know, yeah. to that. and and it, and it's all they're all somewhat in the same kind of era, right? I don't know if the well, I mean the, the Mayan uh, like Mayan step pyramids, they're they're only superficially different from than, from the than, ones at Giza from, and whatnot. From well, no, from ziggurats. Uh, <laughs> Like they're they're temples, they're they're man-made. Well, I was going to say man- they're they're more ziggurat than like say the Egyptian pyramids. Well, yeah, the the Egyptian pyramids are not they're kind of a different kind than Mesoamerican pyramids. Mm. Mesoamerican pyramids are much more akin to ancient Near Eastern ziggurats mm-hmm. in in form and in function. Right. It's a peak where the god is supposed to descend so they can worship it and commune with it, and it's and uh, and if you look into you know all that with medieval angels. Yeah, right. there's, a whole, there's a whole conversation there, but the point is more than like, one. <laughs> yeah. Like, but there's this is this is just a glimpse into this whole world that mm-hmm. has yet to be explored, and it. Shows, and we haven't even said the word Atlantis yet. And and I haven't so, even yeah, mentioned so, I haven't even mentioned John D yet. Right. Um, so oh, yeah. So but, this is the point of what it is that we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, I, I you know. I think there's a lot of a lot of research that that myself, you know, will it will just force me to do more reading, uh, ways to to you know dispute. I think that we we have an opportunity to get guests from from different theologies to to, to give their view on on what we're saying. To include and, to include non non religious atheist type views, right? Correct. That, that that's what I'm thinking too. Or even even like these. Uh, you know, Far East religions, or or, or like a, a, a Kundalini structure, right? So a what? I, Kundalini is it's, it's a Hindu a spot, right? Oh, it's like a it's like a, it's like a yoga. Okay, it's like it's Namaste. Chi like, uh, and Ki, and it's like stuff like that. Right. But they got Chanting that from Kundalini. And uh, Delani just heard that right now, and, and she's her ears perked up somewhere. Right Oh, because because you because you referenced it improperly. Yeah, you what? Like, what do you do? That's not what we do. We do it like this. We 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 chant, then we do the yoga. No, we don't do the yoga and then the chanting. What's wrong with you? Right in the the music and the brain waves and the opening of the the third eye. But that does that does bring me to a third brief point I want to make. It's going to be incomplete. It's going to be a tease, but I think it's the most important thing here. I think we're 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 preoccupied we're overly preoccupied with individual salvation, but individual salvation is important to this. But we've kind of missed what that means within the divine council worldview. Uh, Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. This is a parallel and an antithesis to the Tower of Babel incident and to Mount Hermon. Um, it. Before it's it's divine nature descending and intermingling with human nature to corrupt humanity. Acts chapter two, it's divine nature descending to redeem us. 
Um, and what we read about it, our, our individual salvation is about participation in the divine nature. And Kundalini kind of plays into that. It's sort of it's the it's a far eastern kind of it's a parallel to that in a lot the same way that the the Tower of Babel in, in uh, Genesis six is. It's it's an attempt to participate in divine natures. But Christianity is a mystic religion, and we're we're meant to understand our own salvation as as the in antithesis and answer to like we're basically what the Nephilim were to the to the spiritual forces of darkness. We are supposed to be for the kingdom of God. Like we are, we're nef we're like good side Nephilim. I because I, I don't know that I let me, let me so I'm trying to. I've been hearing that a lot, not what, not you, but other people in, in other conversation groups. I, 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 I have not heard that. This is a new concept. Yeah, so I struggle with the precept that Nephilim were inherently evil, with evil being, you know, demonic, satanic, the dark side. That seems like too much of a stretch. Why? Because they were they were they they were unnaturally derived. I get that, but so is anything that is that that's produced from sin behavior. Well, it's not. So I mean, that's that that's to say that a bastard. That hang on, hang on. Let me let me let me let me let me finish my thought because I, I I want to try to be as complete in what I'm saying. To me. The Nephilim are no more evil by design than is a bastard child being born out of wedlock. Okay. I mean, it, I, one, I, I, the, I, the child didn't ask for it. Two, it's 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 the 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 the, the, the <coughs> events around the conception of the child don't predestine that child to be quote unquote bad. They don't. It's not preordained as a as a matter of inevitability. But there is a reason that bastard is an insult. If you're if you're a bastard, no, you didn't choose that. But your upbringing, you if if you're a bastard, your your parents aren't married. Obviously, you're probably not being raised by your father. Uh, you're probably being raised by a a mother who is struggling a single to, mom, to provide right. for you. Yeah, and you're cut off they, from the family wealth and the family. And, things but, but, but that's an argument of nature versus nurture right? that's that's exactly what i'm but, saying Dre. But, the point so, I'm get, but the point i'm getting to though is that bastards are the, the stereotype attached to bastards and stereotypes are are often based on observed patterns they grow up and they wind up being well bastards in the sure. consultant no but but again that's a nature did the nephilim thing. have free will right well, but but that's you, like it's like applying eugenics to the nephilim well, but when you when you read about what the why the Nephilim were condemned, like in the Book of Enoch, like they were Nephilim were known to rampage over the earth and sure because and they they lived in a time that might makes right and they were the biggest baddest dudes on the Pecos, like I mean I it, might might always makes right. 
<laughs> right, which is why we can't have big giant dudes that are that are supernaturally empowered, right? But but again, that just makes it sound to me. I, I I'm I'm conjuring more of a situation of like like a baby Huey type environment, right? Oh. Versus versus this evil Money incarnation and the rabbits, right? I, and I will hug I, him and squeeze I, him and call think, him George. <laughs> I think that's a worthwhile discussion to have, but but I, I'll I'll leave it at this. Um, in the Bible, they are pictured as evil. They're understood as a as a plague upon the earth. Um, they're they're demonic figures. In I mean, Joshua wiping them out is seen as a as a classic struggle of good versus evil. And Rephaim came to mean a, a demonic creature. And the demons in the New Testament that Jesus drove out, as the Book of Enoch explains them, they are. Demons aren't necessarily just evil spirits. They're the demons that the, of the kind that they're talking about. They're, they're called unclean spirits because they're they're the the illicit mixing of two natures. And because Nephilim are they're fathered by by spirit beings, but mothered by physical I, beings. Yeah, they're they they belong to the earth, so they don't. Like, I, they... I, I get that they're not supposed to be right. And I, and I get that, like I said, and I, I, I wanted, I do want to get into this. Cause I, uh, one, I don't know that it really matters that much. Cause this is one of those mm. non, this isn't, you know, it doesn't matter to be saved or not saved or to be a Christian or not around this concept, but it's just weird. I, I've seen so many people and oh, by the way, I can't put a period on this sentence without pointing out how many times as we've gotten deeper in this conversation, you're continuing to reference the book of Enoch. I just want to make that point. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm I'm just putting a pin in that for future conversation because yeah. we will come back to that. So should I? Uh, we can't get into it now. We're already I, two hours into I this think, thing. I think, okay. it's, been, I think <laughs> it's been crazy that we we okay. I keep seeing spots where we could really wrap this and go, and then like another another thing pops up. I think I think for the future we're gonna be like abrupt, like well, time up, done. Just to just yeah. to wrap up. You're done. Last, just to wrap up my last point. The Nephilim are presented as evil in the Old Testament. They're 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 demons in human flesh, and they're seen as a source of evil. I disagree with that. What they're not? Where in the Old Testament are they presented that way? They're only referenced in one sentence in Genesis six. The the Rephaim, the giants that that Joshua killed. Where's where's the where's the direct language that says they're Nephilim? Uh, the I'm pretty sure that's inferred. And I'm not. I, I'm, okay. I'm trying to. I'm I, trying to be clinical I, here. I, I don't. I don't. I, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this. Okay. <laughs> well, how do we? How do we? How do we put a bow on today? I don't. Well, I, but the 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 point is the way that it's framed in the Bible. No. No. Acts chapter two. When they when they okay. spoke in other tongues, and the spirit the spirit of God descended upon them like fire from heaven. And by invoking the name of Jesus, they spoke in other tongues. This is a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where he confused their language. Now they can speak in the languages of other nations, so they can go out and reclaim the nations. But this is done by God putting his nature in us. And that's the whole thrust of the Christian life, is that we've been given the divine nature, and we are to make every effort to participate in it. It's, it's, it's often presented as a passive thing. 
when no, we're supposed to make every effort to strive to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, and it's it's predicated on that concept. And but anyway, so so yeah, I, I was like I was shouting no, and then you were point. putting a really good bow, and then your bow just had it so unraveled much <laughs> ribbon. There was so much ribbon on your bow. It just just it's tied that thing. I mean, well, it's a Disneyland sized tree in in, in downtown. I would say that so, that is the most important individual takeaway. From I, I agree. I agree. That's why I gave you props and then you kept going. That's all right. Been, I would have been Love you. like way earlier. If <laughs> not for, uh, I blame you guys. I blame you. Guys. I love you too, but I blame you guys. But, Matt, you got anything? Nah. I think we're I think we're good. I don't I don't think I can have another I can say another full sentence without causing more ribbon to appear on top of the bow. So uh, no, I think you might be right. Go, go at it. I so, mean, I might 